Go back to the moon. We're talking to NASA today about the Artemis program. And hey, what may go wrong during a mission? I'm Dooner, and that's the dude, Michael Vincent. <laughs> you know it. Hey, good, good Friday afternoon, everyone. Are my- you one of those guys who's always looking around for the exits? <laughs> Let's just say I like to be aware of my surroundings. Well, if you're 50 miles above the Earth, strapped to a rocket, the last thing you want to do is be looking for the exits, right? Yeah. But oh, sometimes yeah. you do happen. So what's the logistics sure. of what happens when space goes wrong, when a mission goes wrong. We have a couple great gentlemen from NASA will be joining us a little later today in the programming telling us all about Orion, the Artemis mission, and how the abort launch system works. So if something goes wrong, well, that's trapped up there. The astronauts can escape, can jettison themselves, and uh, <sighs> land back down to Earth safely. We'll also find out if that works up in space, too. Yeah, yeah. So this is post, like, the zip lines we saw with the with the, the last episode. This right? is once you're in the air. Something yeah, this goes is wrong. This is not your zip lining down tank. and jumping in that, that, that truck. That's what it is. Gotcha. That's what it is. We've also got Quality Transport Company Senior Vice President Amanda Schuwer. She's going to be on. She's sharing... Her story, she's third generation. She's going to talk about the influence her grandfather and her father had on her. She's also the recipient of Women in Trucking's Top Woman to Watch in 2020. We'll find out if her 2020 was all it was made out to be, if she was the top woman to watch. And she just came back from the TMC conference, so we'll get some information from the floor over there. And uh, we've got another shortage on our hands as well, Michael Vincent. We do. This time, it's tires. We're going to find out if the wheels are coming off the supply chain with IMI Mid-Atlantic Territory Manager Bob Bortner. Before we get there, we got to get to the news. But before we get there, we got to tip the band. So autonomous trucks are coming with a huge potential windfall if you're ready to seize it. Start re-engineering your supply chain for autonomy today. Contact Locomation at Tell'em, dude. Hey, go to locomation.ai for turnkey solutions immediately after the show. Headlines. What do we got going on? Oh, oh, he's back in the news. Say it ain't Mo oh, trucking fraudster uh, are taking advantage of the PPP rollout. And Arkansas Mo, who we covered, uh, what was that, last year on this program? Yeah, yeah, it was about a year. Well, yeah. What yeah. is it? We want more. Maybe it's so hard to tell with uh, what's going on in the years. <laughs> yeah, do you know that building, that, that, that awful hotel collapse? That was in June. And I could have really? sworn that was like last month. That was June? Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, like, ever since there's, like, the, we're, like, on this timeline now where there's, like, the, the pre-pandemic world and, like, yeah, the post-pandemic. Post. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm yeah. just losing track of all sorts yeah, of time. Well, either way, Clarissa Haas reports, well, the emergency relief program was designed to help struggling small businesses stay afloat during the global pandemic more than a year ago. Uh, federal investigators claim fraudsters, including the trucking-related business, a trucking-related business, took advantage of mm. the U.S. Small Business Administration's chaotic launch to vie for billions in government-backed forgivable loans. Now, federal prosecutors are attempting to claw back up to $70 billion <laughs> in fraudulent and ineligible pandemic relief loans yeah. obtained through this PPP program. Yeah, exactly. A reality star and owner of trucking company is the latest to be sentenced in the Fed's effort to track down potential PPP loan fraud scammers. It is none other than Maurice Fain, a.k.a. Arkansas Mo, 38 of Dacula, Georgia. I want to say Dracula, Georgia, yeah. but it's Dacula, Georgia, who appeared on VH1's reality uh, TV show Love and Hip Hop Atlanta. He was sentenced to more than uh, to more than 17 years in federal prison on September 14th related to the $3.7 million 
$1,500 PPP loan he received for his defunct trucking company, Flame Trucking, mm. and also funding his uh, long-running Ponzi scheme. Yeah, he got. I think he got stuck with too much of that Lulu LaRue inventory. <laughs> he got like a bad print <laughs> on the leggings or something. Yeah, so was he it had... the banana print that did him in? Well, if you guys remember, <laughs> if you're a long-time listener, you remember when we covered this story, and around the time we were covering these PPP loans, we were talking about how the federal government said that if the loans were under $2 million, they wouldn't be looking into them. And yeah. we were like, wow, they're just opening the door yeah. for fraud to pour right in. And Coming here down. it is. Fed say scares received $70 billion in these questionable PPP loans. Um, it said many of the PPP loans, they weren't even properly vetted. They lacked internal controls to prevent fraud in the haste to provide a lifeline to small businesses, according to the Watchdog report they had released recently. To expedite the process, SBA lowered its guardrails or relaxed internal controls, which significantly increased the risk of program fraud, which the report said. And we told you the second we heard this, it was yeah, so obvious. Ready, shoot, aim. <laughs> Either way, Mark, Arkansas Mo got himself wrapped up in this imbroglio. Yes, he did. And that's What's shocking. going on? So um, reg regulators and legislators are after Amazon again, this time with AB 701 in yeah. California. It's got the governor's signature over there. They actually tried to recall this guy. It didn't work. John Kingston reports that governor, California governor, Gavin Newsom, he has signed legislation known yeah. as AB 701 that targets quotas in the warehouse industry. The legislation was in introduced by Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez, who is also the author of the very controversial AB 5, which targets independent contractors in the state. In the same way that Uber, Lyft, and trucking were seen as the primary targets of AB5, Amazon warehouses have always been seen as the primary target of AB701. Yeah, that's right. In a prepared statement regarding his signing of the legislation on Wednesday, Newsom said the law establishes new nation-leading transparency measures for companies to disclose production quota descriptions to their workers. Newsom said that the law will also prohibit the use of algorithms that disrupt basic worker rights such as rest periods, bathroom breaks, or compliance with health and safety laws. Very futuristic. Now we're legislating against the algorithm. If you think about that, that's a really interesting sort of concept, and it's a, it's a relatively newer thing that we're hearing about. You hear it on the social media side, yeah, right? What yeah. the algorithm is doing, who it's feeding, how that works with advertisers, and how your data is sure. used. But now algorithms used internally and, and internal controls are also under fire. The Wild West may be changing a little bit on how uh, data is managed and algorithms are, are deployed. Uh, quotas are not banned under AB 701, but the law requires such things as open disclosures of any quotas that an employee is subject to and prohibits quotas from hindering an employee from being able to take legally mandated uh, rest breaks and go to the bathroom and, and that kind of thing. So seems like a positive, maybe. Uh, it seems realistic. I mean, well, how, yeah. how strictly they enforce it. So I think it's the, the inclusion of being able to sue or something like that that is really the crux of the issue here. But a huge money week in supply chain and M&A. Uh, mm -hmm. We heard about yeah. Convey and P44 earlier in the week. Well, Emerge has raised $130 million Series B to scale their digital freight Marketplace. That's right. John Paul Hampstead reports Scottsdale, Arizona-based digital freight marketplace announced Thursday morning that it has closed a $130 million Series B funding round by Nine Yards Capital, Tiger Global Management, and the Spruce House Partnership. Existing investors are our new road capital partners, and Graycroft also had participated in this round.
Yeah, Emerge's latest funding round brings the company's f- fundraising total to more than $150 million, Dooner. Mm. The, evalu- the new valuation was not disclosed, but in an interview with FreightWaves, company officials said that 2021 gross revenues will come in at approximately $200 million. The company Ooh. expects to run about $4 billion in freight through its system this year, and they're looking to scale that to $15 billion through their system next year. Apparently, they're trying to make an RFP that touches everybody. So yes. they're trying to get all that data in their system and, and, and radically change the RFP process. Emerge's other uh, founder and co-founder, Andrew Lito, says logistics is the hottest industry in the world right now, and we have one of the biggest opportunities in the industry in front of us. And if you've been watching some of these deals, I think it would be hard not to agree, and you're hearing all the conversations out there. Oh yeah, there's t- there's tons of there's tons of opportunity out there, and I think the trick is getting those that are going to stick. Well, you know why everyone wants visibility right now and they want solutions because the supply yeah. chain is a mess. The wheels are falling off, and now we have Bob Bordner here, Mid Atlantic Territory Manager for IMI, and he's going to talk to about to talk to us about yet another shortage, and this time it's tires. Michael Vincent, <laughs> Bob, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thanks for having us. Can, can we ever catch a break? Can we catch a break in supply chain? We're, oh, we're missing, we're not missing this, we're missing that. And you know, it's, it's a real big challenge right now. I agree. And it's, it's with everything on every level of the people that I talk to and deal with. It's, it's a crazy, crazy time in the trucking industry as well as the tire industry. So Bob, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what you do over at IMI. Sure. So I've been with IMI for seven years. We make solutions for the wheel end with the concentration on increasing tire mileage and fuel mileage. Prior to that, I've spent 20 years in the alignment field, traveling around, uh, diagnosing tire wear issues, shimmy and vibration complaints and things like that. And on a daily basis, I see our distributor partners, commercial tire dealers, as well as trucking fleets of all shapes and sizes. So, Bob, let's talk about this tire shortage. Tell me there's, there's, don't, don't tell me there's chips in these tires. We can't make those in the microchip. No, it, it's kind of crazy, but tires really do grow on trees. Not necessarily <laughs> uh, on trees, but in trees. It, they, the trees are tapped and get the natural rubber out, just like you would maple syrup in a maple, in a maple tree. That's how the rubber is extracted. So what happened was Malaysia and Thailand are two of the largest producers of natural rubber. When COVID hit, those crops, fields, whatever they call them, were shut down. And then even when they did open back up, uh, the workers could not go across borders to get to either one of those areas to extract the rubber. On top of that, there was a leaf disease, which harmed quite a few of the trees. And as you guys well know, it's it was pretty much a snowball at the top. But the last part is the cargo containers across the globe are making it that much more difficult to get the tires where they need to go. So this has to be costing people who are trying to acquire rubber and also then buy the actual tires that that rubber makes more money. What kind of cost increases are you seeing due to what's going on? Well, in March or I'm sorry, in May of 2021, rubber prices increased 70% year over year. And tires, every major tire manufacturer has had at least one, several of them, a couple of price increases this year and 2020. So, and it keeps going up. I just had had some tires put on my car and I 
probably paid 25, 30% more than I did a couple years ago. So the, the end isn't in sight. It's going to get worse before it gets better. That's for sure. Wow. So Bob, I mean, the, the price is going up. It's going to cost a lot more. What are these, what are the implications here for trucking? Well, tires, fuel, and labor are your major costs, your three biggest costs. And with tire prices continuing to go up, Fleets have to really figure out a way to maximize their tires, their assets, and it's a challenge. There's a lot of new things out to try and help with that, but prices are going up and there's really no end in sight. So the good fleets are really looking for ways to increase tire life and preserve the tire casings that they have. Retreading is a very viable option. But even that is getting more difficult to come by some of the rubber products involved with that. So you said there's no end in sight. Does that mean that you're sort of predicting even more increases? And if I am an equipment manager with a fleet, should I be considering stockpiling tires now if I can find some available? Or Mm, should I wait it out and do some of these tactics that you had just mentioned? Good luck if you're trying to stockpile right now. Mm. Because I I, I recently spoke with one a, a... Uh, sales rep for one of the larger tire manufacturers in the country. And they are for this individual is 4,000 tires back ordered. Doesn't know when they're getting them. I will tell you this, there are some sizes that are available, but that doesn't help with somebody who's running a different size. Yeah. This particular person stopped selling the sizes they don't have and started selling 19.5 and wide base drives. That's all they can get their hands on. Unbelievable. So, Bob, I suppose that this will have some issues with uh, safety and, and, and crashes, right? I mean, people are going to push the limits on retreading, aren't they? You can only retread a, a casing so many times, right? Eventually, you're using a Sharpie yes. to put those lines on there. You know, you're putting the, sh- the Sharpie lines in yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you're going to have to start yes. using a different dime to, to measure the, uh, <laughs> the, di- the uh, depth of the tread, right? Yes, you're right. And there are a, sharp, a lot of uh, Sharpie lines on a retread when it gets out of the chambers. But Yes, there is only a certain amount of times that you can retread a tire. Some people will push it to the limit, and some of the fleets that that some of the fleets that would only say retread a tire two times, now they're looking to do it a couple of more times to save on the rubber costs. But you know, safety could potentially be an issue, but I'll be frank with you, the retreaders that I deal with that I see on a regular base basis do a tremendous job and really retreading has come so far from what it was years ago that I have the utmost confidence in the retreaders that I see regularly that they will be safe and do a good job. Yeah. Hey, Bob, what's easier to find right now, a truck or the driver to drive the truck? (laughs) No. Even. That's a great question. And the driver (laughs) shortage is way out there. Basically, when COVID hit, some of the best drivers retired. They just didn't want to go through everything. Like uh, you heard about perhaps we were going to have a gas shortage in the summer here because tanker drivers that need a special CDL, those drivers just got out of it. So uh, driver shortage has always been a big issue in the industry as well as driver retention. But once again, it was a snowball effect. When COVID hit, the driving schools shut down. You can't train tractor-trailer drivers over Zoom like we were all doing during those times. You have to be live and in person. But 
you know, the, the fleets are now offering all different types of bonuses, incentives, and sign-ons. They're linking a lot of that to safety. But, yeah, getting, getting either tires or drivers is very, very challenging right now. It is. And what about the technicians? Are there a technician shortage as well? Yes. So diesel technicians that work in the fleet shops, a lot of them are older. They're, they're about the baby boomer generation. And, you know, in the next five years or so, the, the, the numbers are 40% of them are going to be retiring. But what's really important to that is the feeder programs coming in aren't really helping. You know, there's some Votech schools. There's some other avenues that these fleets are using, but there's just still really a shortage. And then when you actually go to the tire dealer location, the tire technicians, you know, let's face it, you know, you don't, being along the side of the road, replacing a, a flat tire, you know, at night, it isn't fun. And it's hard to fill these jobs even before this. I mean, several of the locations I go to, the, the, the managers of the locations are out in the shop changing tires right now because there's just no, there's no one to do it. And they're trying everything they can to get, to get workers to no avail. I mean, that's yet another thing that sounds like a, a pretty big uh, a pretty big safety issue. You know, you're shortage of people, you have people with less time, yeah. corners are getting cut. Um, what is EqualFlex and how can that potentially help? Sure, EqualFlex is an easy to use internal tire balance. You drop it in, it's a bag. As the vehicle goes down the road, it breaks open. It balances for the lifetime of the tire. What we're talking about here where it goes hand in hand is, is it increases tire mileage. And those assets now are extremely important. The more, more miles you can get out of any tires in your fleet, that's what you want to be doing. And then at the a fleet level or the, the tire dealer level, if you are using a spin balancer, which takes away man hours, labor time, it can be a pain in the butt. You can just drop this bag in. It literally takes a second instead of 20 minutes or a half an hour. And the text that you do have, you can have them focusing on money-making jobs that, and to keep the trucks up and running. And as you guys continue to point out, safety. Yeah. Hey, Bob, uh, sounds great to me. We are out of time, though. Where do people go to learn more information? www.imiproducts.com. Uh, and then shout out on your Monday broadcast, you talked about the Penn State whiteout. Yeah. Go Nittany Lions. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> there you go. for that, too. All right, man. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. Have a great weekend and enjoy us uh, college you. football. Appreciate it. It's going to be a nice one. Peace. It's a little like fall down here in Chattanooga. Oh, I like yeah. It, it feels great. I love hey, it. Hey, so last week, he yeah. mentioned Monday's show, but last Friday's show, we kicked off our Bloodline series, right? Yes, we did. Uh, yes. My dad was on there. We had a yeah. bunch of other great guests, and we were highlighting multi-generational families in freight. We'll also look at siblings and that kind of thing, too. But if you have sure. blood that touches in freight, reach out to us. We want to highlight you. We want, in the fall, we want to do a bunch of these different segments. And what it's done very well is the signal that it's put out to a lot of you out there, which you can reach out to me if you want to come on, tduner at freightwaves.com or find me on Twitter or LinkedIn. Um, easy to talk to sometimes. Uh, <laughs> uh, but Amanda over here, Amanda, our next guest, Amanda Schuer, she's Senior Vice President at Quality Transport Company. She had reached out and she told me this great story about how big of an influence her grandfather was on her. And I awesome. said, Amanda, you got a great background. You got to come on the show, share the story with us, tell us a little bit about what you're up to. And she's here right now to do just that. Amanda, how are you? Hey, good. How are you? Good to how be here. Where, where are you? You're sitting in a, what, what kind of, are you in a shipping container right now? Yes, I am. No, this was my birthday present to myself. All this virtual world, it's like a, a wood paneled background. 
So yeah, I dig it. It's got some nice texture Thank to you. it and all that kind of stuff. It does look awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when you so, so we were doing these bloodline things, tell tell first of all, tell us why you reached out and and uh, tell us a little bit about this story. So my mission was to be the only uh, grandfather granddaughter bloodline on your show, and you know it's funny. Like I I went over to my dad's place yesterday to interview him and and get a little bit more background on our family. But actually, what I learned is that I am actually the fourth generation. So my great grandfather actually owned a trucking company too. So I dug a little bit more into my, my past yesterday. We wow. have a picture of you with, I believe that is your, your grandfather. If we can show that up on the screen right now. Um, I think that's, I see the ACK. So I think he's driving a bulldog over there. I think he's got a Mac, but it looks like it. How, how much influence did your grandfather have on you? Did you used to do ride alongs and that kind of thing with him? Yeah. So that's my dad. Um, and so that was taken, my grandfather owned a Mac dealership. And, and so actually the way it started is we had a trucking company and then we also had a truck dealership. And so my grandpa actually split the company from the dealership. And so when I was a kid, I used to hang out at the dealership. And so that picture, um, is from the dealership. And then my dad ruined it all and became a dentist. Uh, but my <laughs> uncle, I know, right? I know. Uh, but, but my uncle was actually involved at the dealership, uh, before he passed away. And so, but then after that, there's like no one else, you know, to kind of, uh, go into trucking and I fell into it like completely on a whim. Um, so I was laid off from like a meeting planning agency and there was a marketing position at a Kenworth dealership. And so that's how I fell into trucking. That's interesting. I was going to ask, how did, how did you, den, dentistry or trucking, it's a hard choice because at times they're, they're, they're both like pulling teeth. They're both like pulling teeth, right? Especially at oh, times like now. It's exactly right. I love it. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about, so then you, you get in the, um, you get in the industry. What was that like first joining the industry and in marketing? Did you, I mean, you had that experience with your, your grandfather, but did you know a lot about the business or was it a little bit of trial by fire? Mm -hmm. Totally trial by fire. It was, it was nothing that I really knew much about. And like, I tell this story now that I went to college, obviously not with trucking in mind, but now there's like nowhere else I would be. And I learned pretty quickly that it was because of the people that I, that I stay in trucking. And so when I started at the Kenworth dealership, I was working in corporate and at the time they had a, a corporate building upstairs and then the dealership downstairs. And I kept making excuses to go downstairs and like, what's going on down there? You know, we got, we got parts to deliver, you know, we got shops in the, in the, in the bay. And like the dealership was so much more exciting for me than, than corporate marketing. And so, um, I worked at a couple large dealer groups and then I actually sold aftermarket parts for four years and traveled and, and had a lot of trucking customers. And then I switched over to the fleet side um, in 2015. So, yeah. Awesome stuff. So, obviously, you made a great choice and your whim has paid off. Because, I mean, look at you now. The Top Women to Watch Award in 2020, dude. Yeah. That's an amazing accomplishment. So, you must be very proud of that, right? I am. And, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about, like, so my grandpa passed in 2007. And I'm, I was thinking, like, what's something that he would never believe, right? And I'm a remote worker. And I like my grandpa's mind would explode 
Um, if I could tell him that I'm dispatching loads, you know, from Kansas City when when my company is in Rockford, Illinois, and <laughs> I'm really proud that I'm carrying on the family tradition of trucking. Um, you know, I just wish he was here and and then I could share that with him. But uh, I think it makes my dad proud, obviously, because you know he's doing the dentist thing. But uh, at least someone in the family gets to to carry on the trucking torch. Now, it's funny you say that because I talked to some like the old school guys in Boston back when I was yeah. in customs brokerage and they would be like, you know, if you talked about remote work now, they back because back in the day, like one of the guys was telling me he used to take a typewriter down to the port, right down right by customs. Because a lot of times things are entry docs required. Sure. He would sit by the payphone and he'd bring a sure. typewriter to the port and you get the information and he'd write the entries right there. He'd type them out, then he'd bring them into customs to get stamped off. And uh, yeah. if it was hot freight or hot loads or all that, that kind of thing, so inefficient. And yeah, that was that was that <laughs> yeah. that was that version of. Uh, Remote work. I mean, this remote world has thrown us into a ton of virtual events, but you were able to get outside and get out in the field and go over to TMC 21 just recently. What was that all about? Uh, 2021 TMC was awesome. Just got back from Cleveland. Um, never thought I would be so excited to go to Cleveland in my life. But um, first trucking show, you know, back with everybody face to face. And, you know, I'm a huge proponent of, of TMC as an organization. Um, you know, it's it's a really great group for those focused on technology and maintenance. And, you know, we create a lot of recommended practices for the industry, but it was great. We had a big trade show floor, got to see a lot of new technology, some some really cool stuff and and got to see like my posse, my trucking posse, um, <laughs> which is great. So, yeah, a, a really great event. That's awesome. So um, a little slam on my hometown, Cleveland there, a little back. Yeah, a little, 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 little bit. Of, that's all right. I, I don't go back much myself. Uh, but can you, hey, is there anything good in recruiting right now? Oh, yeah. Can you share well, anything good there? Our last guest, Bob, just told us we can't find drivers. You can't, can't find, find technicians, technicians. You can't find nothing. wheels. You can't find anything. Can't, you, you, no I rubber know. to even roll down the road. I was like nodding my head when Bob was talking and like, I, I'm like, wow, I have to follow his awesomeness, but <laughs> it's tough right now. You know, I mean, it, so, so I think for my freight customers, it's hard for them to find the trucks, but then for me, it's hard to find the drivers. And, you know, I'm a small fleet. I, I only have 20 trucks, you know, on a good day. Uh, and, and so you know, trying to figure out capacity right now. I mean, it is, you know, I always say that trucking changes every single day, but, but right now for me, it's, it's like hour by hour, you know, and, and things that we thought were, you know, set in stone, like we have a weekly, you know, freight pickup. It's Wednesday every single week, no matter what, you know, the last couple of weeks, it's been Thursday, it's been Monday and, and like so much adapting and, you know, trucking's always that way, but, at a small fleet right now, you know, we're, we're definitely feeling the squeeze. We have something. You said you're afraid you might not look awesome. We have a video here. Let's roll this video, and maybe Amanda can tell us what's going on here. Run the tape, please. Amanda, what are we looking at here? So this is something that I'm so proud of. And again, like, I wish my grandpa could see this, but uh, for, for the Truckload Carriers Association, they have a really great program called The Wall That Heals. You can see that right there. And this is my driver, Chris, um, who's a Marine Corps veteran, and he is hauling a three-four scale replica of the Vietnam Wall. And um, Quality Transport, our company, has been able to basically donate the, the driver um, and haul that wall. Uh, this is our 
set, well, third year, I mean, COVID kind of threw us out a year, but um, we actually got to haul it twice this year, which was really cool. Um, I finally decided to invite myself out there this year and check it out. And it's just, it's amazing to see in person. They, in that motorcycle escort, they have the Vietnam veterans right at the front. And then they have the driver with the wall and then a whole nother group of motorcycle escorts. And it's just an amazing thing. And we were so honored to be a part of it. Now, Amanda, we love projects like that. So any t next time you have one coming up, let us know. We, we love covering those those kind of yeah, things. Absolutely. We came across that on your on your LinkedIn and we just had to um, we just had to share. You are new here. So I think we do have to send her to the wheel oh, of stupid we? questions. Oh, yeah. yes, can you please spin that? Thank you, sir. What do you got for hey, wait, her? I that's not fair. He'll tell you. He'll tell well, you. I'll tell you what it says. I'll just do right. it. What you is got it? Dealer's choice, okay. there, my friend. Okay. All right. Well, I'll I'll ask this one. Now, what's the strangest okay. experience you've ever had in an Uber? In an Uber? Oh man. Okay, I got one. All right. Um, I was at a trucking convention and had a nice seafood dinner out, and a minivan comes up to pick me and or like a couple vendors up. Get in the minivan, and the gentleman has his kids in the back. And it's like 1130 at night. It's not like <laughs> seven o'clock. So the kids got their Kindle and, and I'm like, I'm a mom, right? So what's going on? Like, why are you guys awake? But um, the gentleman, you know what? I respect his hustle. He said he's a single dad trying to make some money. And uh, so the kids rode with us back to the hotel and there it was. But uh, I was not expecting a three, five and eight year old in my Uber. It's, at least it wasn't my driver, last one I had, because it tells you you have to wear a mask when you open the, the app up. So I have my mask up. And for some reason, the lady was like really offended that I would wear like a mask in her car. And, and when I got out, she told me to go buy my own car. And I was like, that's like oh, the biggest okay. diss you could maybe get from an Uber driver. Wow. Uh, hey, Amanda, before we let you go, where do people go and connect with you and learn more information? Uh, probably LinkedIn is the best place to find me. My LinkedIn is kind of out of control. And I, uh, I'm Twittering too, at A. Schuer. So either of those places. Uh, love and, to uh, always have conversations with other trucking. All right. Well, Amanda, have a great weekend and don't be a stranger. We'll have you back on soon. But now we got to get inspired. We must go back to the moon. Uh, it's going to take a few things to get there, but let's check out this video. Artemis has been woven into our culture. It has fostered collaboration across the aisles and across the palms. It has grown beyond plans and preparations to include hardware and software. And now, it has a heartbeat. You can feel the momentum. It is undeniable. We are going. And together, we will see Artemis light the way. Our mission to the moon is no longer some far-fetched dream. This is reality. We are going. This is the next step in evolution. They're not just PowerPoint slides. They're actually metals being bent, shaped, formed to build the things that we're going to use. This is real. This is going to happen. We're going. We are going to the moon to learn how to live on other planets for the benefit of all. Let's go. Yeah, let's go. Yeah. That, that made me yeah. want to run through a wall and jump into space. That's awesome. We've got um, we, we've got uh, Nate Hickman and uh, Nick Kinder with us, a couple of kindred spirits from space that are uh, going to tell us some down-to-earth things about Orion logistics and some things that, you know, maybe are not the most comfortable things to talk about sometimes. And it's, what go, what do you do when yeah, something, goes, something wrong goes wrong right? during a mission? Yeah. But before we get there, we'll start with Nate. Nate, how are you doing today? Make sure you can hear me. 
Oh, no, we yeah, we got you, man. Yeah, you were got on it. mute. There's a delay. Got it. Cool. So how you doing, Nate? Doing real good. I'm out here actually at Kennedy Space Center right now. I'm just down the street from where we put a lot of that stuff together you saw in that video, and that was pretty cool. Um, so, and we uh, wanted to come talk to you today about some of this, uh, some of the stuff you saw. Cool. So, like, what do you do on your uh, your day to day? I mean, you have a pretty, um, you know, your job doesn't look very boring. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's uh, it's pretty good. So I'm a, I'm the Element Operations Manager for NASA here at Kennedy Space Center. Um, we work on the Orion uh, launch abort system, which is the pointy end of the rocket. So on the stuff you just saw, the, the you know the stuff that flies to the moon. Um, the pointy end is actually the launch abort tower where if there's a problem during launch, you, you mentioned earlier, that it will pull the, the capsule away from the rocket um, to keep the astronauts safe. Uh, so we're in process right now of actually building that or putting that together here, um, and we're almost done with it. And we've been doing this for several months now. Yep, and there's the capsule. You can see what it looks like inside. Um, we're getting ready to go to the next phase, which is we take it to the big building we have down here called the Vehicle Assembly Building or the VAB. Um, and then we're going to stack it on top of that big rocket that you're going to see. And uh, we're going to send this one to the moon. It's going to do a figure eight and come home and uh, start off our Artemis generation uh, missions. So we're all wow. looking forward to it. Well, Nick, well cool. Nick, where do you fit into this equation? Yeah. Well, I'm actually uh, Nate's counterpart. I'm his contractor counterpart. So we spend a lot of time together, uh, working together. And we manage the crew down there right now that's putting the the uh, launch abort assembly together and put on top the crew module. Um, we manage day-to-day -day operations, uh, do all the pre-planning. There's a lot of work that goes into assembling this piece together. So uh, we have a good time doing it. You it's bet. awesome stuff. I, I love here. I love hearing all the excitement in everybody's voice about this. We're bending metals. We're drilling screws. This is really happening. So, Nate, tell us about things were pretty exciting last week right around Nassau with the uh, Inspiration 4, yeah? Oh, my gosh. That was pretty cool. So our building is right next to that launch pad where they were at. Yeah. So while we were putting our, our system together and working on it inside, we all kind of stole outside. We have this really cool spot up top where you can watch it. Um, we watched the launch, and uh, it was great. Man, that was one of the coolest launches I've seen. Um it did some really cool stuff up in the sky that you just never see the way when the thrusters fired and things. So, um, yeah, that's pretty inspiring for all of us. I'm hoping ours goes as well and looks as good too. Well, up yours is Orion. So, and I believe that was like the capsule that people are used to seeing. I believe that was a dragon capsule. And it was the, was it the same one that was used about a year ago for our first mission to space in about a decade? I know they used a SpaceX used a dragon capsule for that as well. It looks the same. Yeah. It's probably a different capsule. They, they change them up, but it looks exactly the same. So what um, is the Orion they, they, capsule? their standard crew stuff. Oh, the Orion one. Well, you showed some pictures of it already. So Orion is built by Lockheed Martin. It's not a SpaceX product. Uh, us, NASA, we uh, we work here to assemble it onto the rocket, which is a host of other contractors. It's a little bit bigger, um, and it's designed for long duration or duration space missions. So it'll send people to the moon, not just in the lower orbit. So it's bigger. It's got a bigger heat shield. It's got more uh, stuff in it. Um, and then you can see here, uh, it's kind of just has a different purpose. It, 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 again, it's not really just to go to the space station or, or going to low earth orbit. It goes further. Yeah. So what, I mean, it's purpose though, is it to, to land eventually on the moon? Is that what the purpose of that capsule is or what specifically is it used for? Yeah. yeah. No, this one doesn't. You'll need a lander eventually to go with it. Yeah. This is like the taxi that gets you there. Gotcha. So you got to have a place to stay. Everybody's seen on TV where, you know, you got the guys up in orbit and the capsule kind of hanging out. And then you have that lander that goes down to the surface. This is the mm. part that stays up, up in the sky. So, Nick, what would the uh, launch abort system be then? What, what element of this uh, ship is that? Um, well, the launch abort system is only for the uh, first stage uh, phase of the rocket. So um, it's kind of a contingency for right off the launch abort pad. If we had a problem uh, during countdown, it would, it would uh, boost it up away from the rocket and then uh, land the, the astronauts safely out into the ocean. But... It also goes all the way up through uh, booster burn up, you know, through the eight and a half minutes 
uh, burn. So it can provide uh, any opportunity, anything that goes wrong with the first stage, um, it'll get it away from the rocket and then uh, allow the astronauts to um, land safely. So it, once after, we're, after we get into space, it's done. The whole last abort system is done. It's gone. So how do you, uh, Nick? How do you how do you test that abort system? How do you know that it's actually that it's going to work? Well, we actually did a test uh, AA two. I think it was in uh, 2019 um, where we put it on a, a what was it a, a Peacekeeper missile, and we sent it up and we actually tested it um, uh, right off the right off the coast here and uh, made sure everything works. And then after that, we know our design is basically good. So. Uh, we assemble the thing together and we do all our electrical checkout, make sure all our circuits are good, make sure the pyros are good. And um, that's kind of what we do with the whole with the whole thing. We just completed a test uh, last week on the rocket. They called it a URT, but what it was, was it actually was uh, testing all the umbilicals uh, coming off at T0. And it had some really cool vid- video footage on that. But um, So that's what we do. We test everything on the ground. When we go fly, we just have faith in our you know, in all our testing and our designs. Now I'm looking at this testing and, and they're dropping this from, it doesn't look very far, right? It looks like five feet. So, you know, as a layman watching that, you might go, I mean, how would they know <laughs> if it's going to work from a five foot drop into a little pool? But how, wh- why does that work? How do you guys know that works and what are you testing right there? Well, that was actually just one small test and I'm not sure what the test objective was there. It was probably, I uh, had to do with the buoyancy and stuff, but uh, we do all kinds of tests. This is just one little test that we've done. Uh, we've done drop tests. We do recovery tests. Uh, we have a uh, one coming up, um, a recovery test coming up with the military in about a month or so uh, where we'll practice retrieving. So we there's just all kinds of tests that have little objectives to them. So it's a whole process. Gotcha. Nate actually uh, has experience with that so he can probably tell you a little more about that yeah nate lay it on us what are you doing there i was watching the video and listening to it there's 500 sensors in there what are they what are they looking for why 500 different sensors oh my gosh that's probably only a fraction of it i think there's like millions overall in the vehicle <laughs> yeah so since it's 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 crazy since it's our first first flight they they keep uh, they call it telemetry it's downloading data from the rocket that comes back and they measure stuff so it's temperature pressure um they want to know how it works i mean this is the first time we've done this so like Nick was mentioning, we have a lot of the tests and that drop test you just saw, they were um, they were simulating when it finally is when the parachutes are open and it splashes down into the water. That's why it's only about five feet, because it's about the same as if the parachutes were open and it hit the water. They were they had a bunch of sensors on that uh, rig, too. And then they look for, you know, how the heat shield impacts, uh, what the structure does, how it moves. Um, and they probably I mean, I bet they had thousands on that thing you just saw. So you can imagine millions on the rocket itself um, as it goes up. It sends all that data back to Earth and we can catch all that. And then after we're done. Like Nick had mentioned, we all go out to um, the re- prime recovery zone, zone for Orion is in San Diego, California. It's just right at the coast. Mm. So we all have to uh, relocate. There are some good pictures. You guys got good footage, by the way. I'm impressed. Huh? I got better stuff than I do right now. <laughs> we, <laughs> we all go out to uh, California, and then we have to go out with the Navy. We work on a ship called an LPD with a partnership with the Navy. Uh, we do go out, and we recover that capsule after it splashes into the water with a team of Navy divers, uh, and we retrieve it onto the ship. Um, we have to get it back to shore, do processing, and then we actually ship it back to Kennedy Space Center over land. Um, uh, and it takes about 10 days to do that. You can imagine all the, the permitting and challenges and route zones and things because there's still a lot of nasty stuff on board this vehicle we're bringing home. So we got to keep it safe. 
Yeah, I was watching the inspiration for the live stream, the the splash. And by the way, these videos are, are on, a lot of them are on NASA's YouTube channel. You get some great content over awesome. there. But NASA's media arm has been doing an awesome job and as a SpaceX live streaming these inspiration things. And I made my kids watch the launch and I made them watch the splashdown. But I learned something while watching the splashdown. They don't pull you out of it right away. You splash down and they're like, then it's like an hour. And they're like, it's going to be about an hour until we get them out and we start talking to anybody. So they were just sort of preparing the audience. How long can that... Can that stay in the water? Like what? Obviously, it wouldn't land if there was inclement weather. You probably wouldn't launch. But what if whatever was delaying a vessel from retrieval? How long can they stay in the water on that craft? Yeah. So the uh, the spaceship will float for quite a while. I mean, it's it's a pressure vessel. It's it's yeah. not going to sink. It can flip around. And you know, if you hear them land, when they'll talk about a stage or a, on a, a mode one or mode two. Sorry, that's the wrong word. Uh, if it lands upside down or not, um, normally it lands right side up, like you saw. It. It'll float. They'll have the astronauts out within. You know, we have a we have a, a constraint for that a few hours. You know, we understand that, you know, if you run a, dur a long duration space flight, you want to get out um, and kind of what you saw in SpaceX. The timing is the same. But remember, when you first splash down uh, in space flight, there's a lot of these things on the vehicle called thrusters. And they have a lot of nasty chemicals they used to do that. So we got to make sure it's mm -hmm. safe. So what you'll see is the team's getting close to it and these sniff checks and things. So um, on Artemis one, it's going to sit for a couple hours before we uh, go to it and get into it. Of course, there's no astronauts. Um, but there is a lot of safety that goes into it before you go up there. That's what you were looking at, trying to prep. That's what they were telling you. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. So when you use the, the abort system, when is it actually used? Uh, are these sensors, is it automated, or is there somebody with a button and somebody walks in and says, <laughs> hey, the door's open, and you hit the button, you go, I thought you said abort. When, how, how is it done, and when, when is it used? Nick, you want to take a shot at that, or I can? <laughs> uh, go ahead. Yeah, there's a couple, okay, cool. there's a couple ways. Yeah, but go ahead. Man. You can, you can build on it. We'll do that, right? No, ours okay. is cool because it's automatic. So imagine this, right? You're, you're in the rocket. You're going uphill. Something happens. Yeah. The idea is the computer can respond faster than a person can. So in Apollo, they did have a button. That's no lie. They sat with their finger over the button, kind of like you just alluded to. Yeah, uh, we're in a little bit better shape now. We got, you know, we got faster computers now. So uh, yeah, you don't, want, will, you don't want somebody will, sneezing when they got their finger hovering over that. No, sure. Imagine, <laughs> yeah, oops. <laughs> Well, right. it's, so, it no, the computer like will look at all those sensors and it'll make the decision for you in an abort. So it can happen faster and keep you safer than if you were relying on your finger to do it. Yeah. And it, it doesn't of, rely on just one message. It, it, I mean, yeah. there's checks and balances on all that. So, yeah, Nick, like what kind of conditions would have to be going wrong? Is it like the yeah. rocket itself was overheating or was it going to explode or wasn't at the right speed to actually get into space? Like, what are some of the uh, variables yeah. that can occur during one of these launches? Um, well, I'm not a real expert on this part of it, but I, I can tell you um, there's all kinds of different logic that goes into it. Uh, I guess probably veering off, you know, veering off track would probably be one of them. Uh, some combination of engine failures type of thing. Um, but probably probably veering off trajectory and not going to make it into orbit, that type of thing. But like I said, it's probably not my area of expertise. I don't know if um, Nate has any more on that. I'm more of a ground assembly kind of test kind of guy. Sure. Well, we, we try not to focus on the bad stuff, you know, but everybody's seen the, the negative shots. And imagine this system to keep the astronauts safe from all that bad stuff we've seen in the past. So um, yeah. it'd be a heck of a yeah. ride. It's not a it's not a Disney ride. It'll be rough, but uh, hopefully it keeps them keeps them safe and brings them back home. So, yeah, well, let's yeah, talk the, about the most hazardous. The most hazardous part is the, the cryogenics, the first stage, um, you know, the, the hydrogen oxygen combination. I mean, you know, anomalies in those system. We can actually launch it right off the uh, right off the launch pad. You know, True. If, if we if we saw something going wrong during uh, you know ignition or something like that, we'd launch it right off the, the launch pad. Mm -hmm. 
Do you guys talk to the astronauts at all about these? The, I mean, obviously, they have to be trained in these safety systems and everything. But like, what are their impressions of of Orion and uh, what you guys are up to? Well, I hope they trust well, us. My <laughs> <laughs> we, we, my, we see them quite a bit. Yeah, they're. I mean, they they trust the system. They're embedded in every process we do, every design we do. So, so they're not just walking up the rocket on launch day and stepping in and going. They they're pretty embedded in it, and uh, and they they trust the engineers. You know that um, all the engineering, all the people down here. We, uh, you know, we work every day with the back of our mind that people are going to be stepping on this thing. A lot of us. Um, Nate and I both worked shuttle and I've worked shuttle since 85 and I've been, you know, part of those accident investigations and have met some of the astronauts that died in some of those accidents. So it's, you know, it, they know that, um, we are very, very keyed into making sure that, um, we take the utmost care into making sure that vehicle's ready to go. So I think in the most part, they, they trust. Also. Yeah. Well, I mean, watching those test videos, the, the, all the little details that they go through to make sure the test is set up right. I was feeling that myself just watching it go, man, you, you would feel pretty darn safe. So what's next for Orion now once you get the uh, board system installation is complete? Cool. Well, that, that one's pretty simple. Actually, we, we get to take it up north. Uh, up north, Kennedy Space Center is a, a north and a south kind of thing. We assemble it on the south side and we stack it on the north end in that big vehicle assembly building that everybody has seen in the mm -hmm. past. Just think of the Apollo rockets being stacked. It's, it's the same idea. Uh, we get to put it on top of the SLS core stage, um, and then we get to integrate into that. And then there's a whole host of more checkouts they do. They roll to the launch pad. Uh, they fill it full of fuel and check, and then they bring it back, and we install payloads um, and eventually launch it. So that is the next step is actually putting the, uh, the vehicle on the rocket itself. Um, so we deliver kind of, we, we have, uh, you know, we've had this thing in our control now for months, and it's kind of our baby. Now we go deliver it to the rocket and say, here, you know, like, take care of it. It's going to go on the top now. So how do you, it's such a critical yeah, step that, in a critical stage. How do you guys know it's done? How do you go, okay, now we're ready for crewed missions. Um, that obviously changes the stakes quite a bit. How do you like sign off and go, it's good boys, jump on inside this capsule? Well, there's, you know, we, for Artemis One, we have a whole list of test objectives. And if those objectives are met, um, uh, they'll be good to go. We have a couple other systems we have to add that Artemis One doesn't have like the, uh, the oxygen breathing system, we don't have it on Artemis One. So um, so we'll look at the, the flight data and, you know, we don't expect any surprises. Uh, I, I'm sure there will be some, but as long as, uh, you know, as long as all the data comes back, that the engines fired correctly, that they burn correctly, everything in space, all the systems work in space, um, we'll, we'll be we'll be ready to go. We're probably, I mean, after this rock is done, we'll, we'll be, uh, the whole launch system will be checked out. Uh, Ninety percent of the crew modules will be checked out, so it, it'll get a good test run. Heck yeah! So, uh, Nate, will this be any different when it's actually uh, there's an actual crew inside of it, or is this set up exactly like it would be so you can test that? Yeah, there's some minor differences, like Nick had just alluded to. For instance, it doesn't have oxygen in this flight because right. there's no people. Uh, things like that. But the safety systems that we're looking at today. Um, they all look the same. They function the same. They did change a little bit for Artemis One. Like, like here's a here's a fun fact. Artemis One, the launch abort tower you're looking at, actually can't abort through the whole regime of what it would do. Um, it doesn't need to because there's no people involved. So uh, AA2 that we talked about during one of those tests was where we actually tried all the systems at once. Um, so what Artemis Two gets is it's kind of a culmination of all the pieces we've tried so far. Um, the the full on uh, abort tower system. Uh, the life support systems that go on inside of it, uh, all the pieces. Uh, but primarily on this one, the capsule look the same. The pieces all look the same. They all function the same. 
Uh, it's just those little nuances in the end that really are needed to support crew when they go around the moon. Wow. Excellent. Hey, throw Excellent. me to the wheel. Throw these gentlemen oh, to yeah, uh, the wheel. Stupid the questions. They're first time yeah. NASA guys. And I, I saw he was late waiting for her Uber answer. Um, uh, maybe they'll also tell us what their worst Uber ride is or well, what their worst might. Orion they space might. ride okay, is. Imagine let's... having like a terrible like astronaut with you on a space ride. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that will right, shut right, up or something. Uber space, right? Yeah. Well, that'll shut up about politics well, or Uber, something. <laughs> Uber space will happen sometime. It'll be Nate and Nick driving it too, probably. So uh, let's go with let's go with Nate here. How many circus clowns can you fit inside that Orion capsule? Oh my gosh, that's a great question. No, you know, you can fit a lot of circus clowns in a small car. So um, I'm going to say 30. Whoa, that's pretty good. That. I wasn't expecting wow, that. Wow, there's well, a lot of You got to be a contortionist, but I think you could do it if we really smash them in there and get the hatch closed on them. <laughs> are, are these bigger now? Because like I in Alabama over here, we have a space museum and I was I was there with my kids and they have the um, they have like the Saturn V like rocket thing and you can go inside the capsule. And like these were built for people from a different generation and a different time, like everything. Like I'm six two over 200 pounds. Like I, I do not fit in these capsules very, very well. There's not a ton of legroom. Have they gotten any bigger? I mean, it's space, man. You got to be kind of petite. Yeah, is there business class? No, they're, they're still pretty small. This one is bigger than Apollo, so. Okay, well, yeah. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Even the, definitely like, not putting thirty full size people in it. So even like the Gulfstream they had there, like they they had like their trailers that NASA used yeah. at the time, and they were like they're they're just small. I mean, people were just like smaller back then. <laughs> it wasn't even that long ago. Less right? hormones in the milk right. or something. I don't Less know. hormones <laughs> in the milk is probably it. Well, okay. So when does this when does this go up for real? When when are we targeting Artemis to go to the moon? I'll let Nick take a shot at that one. Uh, we're it's. About the end of this year is is when we're targeting it. Yeah, this is a first time launch, so you know schedules kind of change a little bit because we learn new stuff every day. But um, basically, the end of this year is what we're targeting. Yep. Wow. We want to see it go. You got it. All right. That'd be sweet, man. Well, Godspeed to you, gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today and teaching us a little bit about what to do when things go wrong. We enjoyed it. All right. Well, thank thank you. you for having us. Appreciate it. Take care. Thanks, guys. All right. So that's God, the I thing. Like, good stuff. news, you're going up to space. Bad news, the rocket's about to explode. Let's go to a little good news, bad news. Let's do it. Bad news and good news. Yeah, that's not what you want to happen. All right. Good news. Long Beach has began trials of extended hour cargo pickup. A lot of people have been yelling, hey, we need 24 24- Seven at the port. So let's take a live look at what's going on at operations. Hey, that operations. That's here? operations over there. <laughs> <laughs> operations <laughs> <that work. laughs> He's trying to manage all the vessel traffic. He's like, there's 70 ships there. Are those the, like the gantry crane operators? <laughs> is that what's That's, those are trying to manage the schedule. But look, you know, we talk about the port. We talk about the port, and there's, there's. Uh, I think we're down to 62 ships, so that's a good thing. But once we get all this stuff off the ship, right? Well, yeah. what happens? What's happening right now let's is let's it. take a look at this video. You're going to see all these trucks here, bobtailed and lined up, waiting to pick up these containers. And what they're waiting for is chassis, Michael Vincent, because you can't move a container without a chassis. Yeah, so no, all these, they don't balance well on the fifth wheel. They don't. And the thing about the Port of LA and the Port of Long Beach, and this always comes up during congestion. Usually it's not the extreme record-breaking congestion right now, but they, whenever there's a congestion out there, there is, there's always been problems with their chassis pool and sure, the way that chassis sure. are done. 
and everybody goes, hey, we should change it. And then is Peter Freeman here. I have a great quote from him about kind of what's really going on here. He goes, the terminal operators say they can't do anything because the warehouses don't work 24 hours. And the warehouses say they can't work 24 hours because the truckers won't do it. But if everybody continues to say they can't do anything unless someone else does something else, then nothing gets done. Yeah. I have to agree with them. I think it's good that they're actually that they're trying 24-7. I don't know how efficient it'll be, but you at least got to start it. It can't be worse than what's currently going on. On. Well, you would hope it wouldn't be worse than what's going on, but yeah, it's funny that they won't do it. Well, they won't do it. Well, they won't. Well, hopefully they get that worked out because we got to get this alleviated somehow. And just killing the economy doesn't seem like the right thing to do. It doesn't. Here's some bad news. Take a look at this video here. So what's going on here is this driver's going down here. He's on the street. He sees this uh, 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 semi on the right-hand side here that is broken down. So he's coming along, and his car pulls out in front of him, and he stops because it's apparently this car is not going to get out of the way. Yeah. And he just nails right into him. And I'm just describing this play-by-play for people not seeing this video, but... That's pretty astounding. Hit him at about, I don't know, what was he doing? Well, he was, he, he slowed down. He wrecked this guy. I mean, he drove into a semi. drove right the into a destroyed. semi straight on. It happened at a toll park approximately one month ago. A broken down semi on the side there. The driver says that, you know, he's driving along. And this guy, he, he was taken to the hospital. There's no, he was bewildered. The guy smelled of alcohol, $10,000. Uh, okay, yeah, so the guy money. he had, he was driving a camera. He slams into him. The guy who did it, he said he smelled like wine. He had yeah. no registration. He's got no insurance. No um, insurance all his life possessions were in his car. So I guess he was a bit of a hoarder. And he did $10,000 in damage. But what's the outcome? Yeah, here? Well, the outcome, apparently nobody was seriously injured. So that's a good thing. Although he did smoke his head off of that, uh, the windshield there. You can see his head bounce off of that uh, thing. Did, was that, know. was he like smoking a cigarette or was that like smoke from I his think body? That's, I don't know what it was. But I don't know. <laughs> a plume of smoke comes out his window. He's on that side of the car because this is in Australia. Yeah, as you in mentioned. Australia, that's so where... he's on the wrong side of the car. But yeah. Boom. Yeah, he smokes that guy pretty good. Oh, well. That's a, why, I guess because he was drunk, he would just, inst- I mean, you're not going to get through the semi. I just don't get it. I don't know what he's trying to do. I don't think he, he obviously did not know the guy was there. There's, there's no way. Right. There's well, no way. Get sober, dude. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Get sober. Yeah, man. Get sober. It's the best thing I did in my life. It'll be the best thing for you. All right. Bad news. Supply chain dive reports. Toy. We talked about rubber, right? And resin and things coming from trees. What about plastics, man, for toys? Uh, Supply chain dive reports. Toy. Reports. Toy makers. Worry. Congestion will lead to holiday inventory troubles. Um, What they they usually report with the, the, why the unusual, why the usual? Why can't I talk right now? Either way, Los Angeles has increased traffic, (laughs) cargo traffic, 30% in 2021 compared to the same time in 2020. And these comparisons aren't that odd now. Like earlier when we were talking March, March, March 2020, March 2021, we would be like, ah, that's not really good. But now last year, you know, the the buying and the spending and the excessive buying was up, the revenge spending. So here, but we're up 30% from that. And that was already a very elevated peak season, right? And as congestion grows, this is what Supply Chain Dive has said, as congestion grows, the time it takes to ship products from China to the U.S. increased by an average of 73 days in September. That's up 83% from pre-pandemic figures in September 2019, according to Fredos. And we had Brian Patrick Bork on here from SECO back in yeah. August. We were talking yeah. about, is Christmas ruined? Yeah. And in that show, we were talking about for your shipping timelines from overseas. Now sure. we're talking about, is your Christmas ruined? Should you start shopping now? Well, that's what these toy makers are warning about. And they're warning about at the Port of L.A. because all the shippers are bringing in their toys through there. And they're just seeing them sitting. Um, 
out at water. Well, in this webinar that they did, more than 60% of manufacturers are reporting a resin shortage, according to, uh, according, to the, according to that webinar and survey data from Alex Partners. The good news is, going to be hard to say, is a vice president of the Toy Association said during that same virtual press conference at the Port of Los Angeles that if people go out to those major retailers, they're going to see toys on the shelves now. Right. The caution is how long will it last? So there's still the opportunity to get some of that Christmas shopping in early. So that's the good news. Now you got to go and take advantage of it. I've got a closet full of uh, Legos already. Oh, well, there set. you go, man. I've You're done set. most of my shopping. You yeah. did it. Excellent job. Excellent job. And that's what most people need to do. Very, very crazy. So the, here's good news, man. I know you love these films as well. Yeah. They're filming a new Mission Impossible, right, over in England. Yes. And it looks like it's going to be awesome. I, we've got a, we've got some realistic stuff here with the, the trucks, uh, uh, the, the locomotions flying off of uh, uh, into quarries and all this other kind of stuff, right? Yeah. But bad news is it's a little bit too realistic. Uh, coming out of Derby, the, tele, the Derby Telegraph uh, reports that the Mission Impossible carriage accidentally crashes into the railway bridge it didn't fit underneath it. And here's the thing, Dooner. It was being it was being escorted by a police escort, and they still led them underneath a bridge that uh, that was not high enough, and it got stuck underneath it. Um, and what is this woman? Sarah Wyman, she took the picture of that crash there that you see over there, and she commented, I just heard a crash, looked at the side of me, and bam, bloke from a recovery van came running down to see what was going on. That, is that the same train that they that they wrote? There was a stunt that there was a video going yeah, on Twitter. And so this is the bending and everything that you see on here right now is from they dropped it off the edge into, yeah. a, into a quarry. Yeah. But then, it, that, so they were taking that away. They removed it. It happened like two weeks ago. So none of that damage there was really from this gotcha. thing being stuck underneath there. It didn't hit that bad. It was on the back of this truck when it got stuck. Yeah. And being being escorted by police underneath this underneath this thing, well, shut it down right at right at, right in the middle of uh, rush hour. There's this thing in Boston called getting starroed, and and every time <laughs> there's Alston Christmas and there's move-ins going on around September, all the college students because so many people live in apartments, they okay. live off campus in apartments, they're okay. just a mess. Uh, people always take their their vans and they get stuck on these bridges. And it's called getting starroed, and you get can opener and stuff. And some of them actually oh, do look okay. like yeah, that yeah, just yeah, yeah. from hitting starroed yeah, because the top right off it of rips yeah. the top right off it. That Mission Impossible looks good though. I w I've been a fan of the uh, the last three of them. Right, like, you can check out the video of that locomotive going over yeah. the edge, man. That thing is hauling. It's Here's like cool. deja vu. We could just like rerun this part of good news, bad news from a previous episode. Bad news. Costco <laughs> is rationing toilet paper again and cleaning products. Uh, they're talking about it's not – this time, though, it's not like panic buying. It's not that everyone's buying toilet paper okay. at the same time. Right. It's that they're looking at their inventory forecast, Michael Vincent, and they are seeing that there's going to be disruptions. That's what their CFO is talking about. Well, now um, there's going to be Price increases of pulp and paper goods. Some items are 4 to 8%. Plastic items, Ziploc bags, Volvo bags, 5 to 11%. Um, not good. Costco has charged some ships, though. Let's see if those will help. They're going to hold 800 to 1,000 containers. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, NASA, and all our wonderful guests today. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. That's D-O-O-N-E-R. Find him at Vincent the Dude. Hey, tell him how to be this weekend. Hey, peace and love. Spread it everywhere, my friends.